Hello there, and welcome Nesson Bruins Podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined by Logan Mullen, and we are uh, we're down a line mate uh, this weekend. Uh, this week, Logan Lauren Campbell is not with us. Uh, she scheduling conflicts, I think, is the best. Yeah, yeah. she's she's the Curtis Lazar of our group. She's not going to be around for the uh, for the pivotal game for Game Six. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So we're into uh, it, you know this is a, a pretty pivotal episode of the Nesson Bruins Podcast. Uh, we're gonna kind of just chew on the chew on the fat of Game Five, which did not go well for the Bruins, nor did Game Four. Uh, now they are faced with a do or die situation Wednesday night on Long Island. Um, so we last met last week. So the Bruins have not won since we uh, since we convened, if I if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't really. I mean, we don't really need to get much into Game Four. I think that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. That was probably the Bruins' worst playoff game uh, in, in, in quite some time, um, at least until the first two periods of Monday night. Yeah. Is that supposed to be the jumping off point for me? No, I just I, – you look like you're about to say something. So. No, no, I was I was listening intently. Yeah, so they lose Saturday night. Uh, go back home for, for a huge game five. Got to have it. Come out guns blazing score right away um really dominate the first period it felt a lot like game seven of the st louis series though they did everything but score again because they scored that first goal um and you kind of knew that was going to come back to bite them it did uh the islanders really i mean took advantage of a, a bruins relatively undisciplined relatively unlucky bruins team uh we'll get into that a little bit more with the, the calls and such but um the Islanders hold on, win that game, despite the Bruins making a goaltending change. We'll get into the goaltending change. There's so much to talk about. There so, is a lot. Let's just kick it off with our, our opening takes. How screwed are the Bruins, or what's the level of optimism for you that they can come back and, and still at least force game seven? So I had the developing theory last night that the thing that would ultimately – determine this series and it turns out I'm probably going to be wrong at least in one regard is last change because we saw how big that was in New York in particular when JG Pajot was always up against Bergeron and they kind of had that figured out they're going to be able to do that again in game six and from a matchup standpoint that very clearly gave the Bruins a hard time if the Bruins were healthier and at home, I would probably be a little bit more encouraged. I, I try not to let the recency bias thing cloud everything after the way game five went. But there's reason to be concerned, I guess, as there would be. Yeah, of course. As there would be about anything. But, you know, you and I were talking before the uh, – before we started recording how in 2019 when the Bruins had to go to St. Louis for game six and they were down three, two, it, it didn't feel like they were doomed. I'm not saying that it feels like the Bruins are doomed, but it feels like a lot is working against them right now. Yeah. I don't want to sound like pathetic Nesson Homer hack as a national baseball insider once called me. Um, <laughs> But, Good old days, if you will. Yeah, I'm. I'm still not terribly impressed by the Islanders. That's what I said about the not, Blues. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's true. Which it may not matter. And I, I guess the thing I am impressed by is 
the fact that they can win despite not being overly talented and they can win despite being thoroughly dominated for what 50 minutes on Monday night. Like yeah. that game was mostly played in the New York end, except for when the, the Islanders were on a power play and they took advantage of it. And the power play is something I want to point out. I, it would score three goals in the power play Monday in game five, two or three. Hey, I think there were three for three on like five shots or something ridiculous like that. Um, I have to think that won't happen again Wednesday night. And if that doesn't happen again, where do the goals come from? Like, that's my thing with, again, it's just, I don't know. I Good teams find ways to win games, and they're doing a better job of that right now than the Bruins are. But, like, it just doesn't seem sustainable. And maybe they'll be in the Stanley Cup final, and I'll be saying the same thing about them. Three games to one on Colorado or Vegas. But, like, I, it just – it still seems like there's a – it still feels like there's a four to one Bruins game in there somewhere, whether they can get to it. I don't know. The, the injuries on the blue line are certainly, I think the biggest development in this entire series because it affects, you know, what they can do in terms of matchups in their own end and it affects the penalty kill. And that's something that Cassidy talked about um, after the game Monday night is that he's like, you know, we didn't do a good enough job, but you know, there's also a personnel issue where it's now it's Connor Clifton killing penalties instead of Brandon Carlo. And it's like, you know, that's, that catches up with you. And they did not get a great game from Rask in game five either. So, you know, here you are, it's, you know, you, it's a couple bad turnovers, a couple bad penalties and a couple poor penalty or penalty killing plays. And there's five goals. And it's again, like you can't take those away, but it's still, it's not like the Bruins are getting beaten like a drum. It's yeah, it's right there for them. So I have some level of optimism that they could play a good game on Wednesday night. It's just, you know, do they have it in them? And I, it's a veteran core. Like they've done it to your point in 2019. So like, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I don't feel overly confident about their chances, but at the same time, I'm talking myself into like a very clear path to them getting back into the series. Yeah. And I don't think that they're a hopeless team by any stretch. I think it's easy to look at what happened in game five and also the developments that, as we learned today, Curtis Lazar, Brandon Carlo, Kevin Miller, all out. You're not getting any of them back, at least for game six. And and you don't know what the status of Tuka Rask's health is. Like the fact that Bruce Cassidy was in the, unable to say we're confident he'll play, which he's been able to do at every other point this postseason, that would raise a red flag for me. Tuka Rask himself has said, if I'm in there playing, I'm healthy enough to play. So – it all kind of comes down to that to a degree. The most understated thing, and you started to allude to it, Mike, was that the personnel has, especially on defense, has become so jostled and shaken up that, you know, Jeremy Lozon's the easy example. Wasn't great in game one against the Capitals, ended up getting hurt, so he didn't play until much later on. He's been a combination of snake bitten and bad the entire postseason basically but when he's only playing 15 minutes a night on a third pairing you can shelter it a little bit and it's easier but you better bet that with Jeremy Lozon likely playing what on the second pairing again uh in game six and New York getting getting last change I mean the the top line the Barzal line is probably going to be on the ice all the time against Lozon Riley in game six and that could be 
problematic. And if you get the good version of Jeremy Lozon, perfect, fine. He's he's a good defender. I like Jeremy Lozon, but he's been far too inconsistent uh, so far this postseason. Yeah, and you know he looked especially bad on one of the goals last or Monday night. I forget which goal it was. And it's like, oh man, that's the type of mistake compound, compounded with the other issues he's had in the series that would take him out, you know, take him out of the lineup. But you're not taking him out of the lineup at this point, probably. Like it's just, you know, I think we're gonna see the same exact decor that we saw in Game Five again on Game uh, again on Wednesday night in Game Six. Cassidy, to to your point, just completely taking out any sort of uh, suspense. You know. It, I, I would feel a lot better about the Bruins, too, if they just had Kevin Miller back or if they just had Brandon Carlo back in game yeah. six because it just, to your point, it completely lengthens your lineup. It it evens it out. It kind of you know, squishes it down and flattens it out and disperses it more evenly uh, among among the, uh, the entire lineup. So that's a tough break. Uh, let's see. What else was there? Before we move on to the goaltending situation, I'm trying to think if there are any other – game five leftover thoughts uh, that I wanted to get to penalty kill is an issue. Um, oh, uh, second line. I wanted to hit on this. Like you look at the numbers and I think they out chanced or outshot uh, their opponents 10 to four, five on five, which is pretty good. But like if they don't score, I have a hard time finding a way for the Bruins to win game six without that line scoring. Cause it's just, you gotta, you know, they need they it needs to be like the Taylor Hall game or the David Craigie game or the Craig Smith game. Like it needs to be they're gonna have to find offense somewhere because it's just you're gonna be running upstream so many different ways and it's just it's one of those games where it feels like you kinda have to to get it from somewhere else because if you don't, like to your point with the you know, the last change, like the Bruins are are gonna be struggling to find advantageous matchups in game six if that line or even the third line can't get it going. And again, thought they were fine. Game five. Out they drive play. Yeah, right. Just, you know, they didn't score. Oh, my other point. I had one other point. Um, missed opportunities in game five, too. Like early on, I went back and watched the first period. Marshan had that, that shot or that play that he basically put it through the goal mouth uh, early on. Yeah. There was that. I, there was one other one I can't remember. Um, they had chances. So, like, they've got to bury those. Again, I mean, this is <laughs> – how many times have we had this conversation about the Bruins in the last 10 years or whatever it is? Like, you know, again, it's just they, – they definitely lead the league in games that they completely drive play and still find a way to lose. So, yeah. um, I don't know. You can get that for a game. And, like, that's the thing. If they win on Wednesday night – all bets are off because now it's a game seven Friday night. Like it's whatever. I, you know, you take your chances there. So, yeah. Um, who's your goalie in game six? If you're the Bruins. If he's healthy enough to even consider playing. Okay. That was going to be my next question. You don't even consider the idea of making a change. If you feel Rask is 75%. Yeah. If he, if he tells me he's healthy, then I'm going with Rask if I'm Bruce Cassidy. And the reason is that, and like, the nimrods of the fan base who don't like Tuka Rask for reasons that they can't actually justify are going to say, well, he looked awful in game five and he did. He, you know, that's one of those ones where 
you're too grasp. You you need a save or two to kind of steal things for the Bruins to keep him hanging on. Everly goal was terrible. Yeah, he he had a couple of clunkers in there. That said, that should not take away from the fact that he has been a largely good goalie this uh, this series, and has. I mean, the Bruins would probably be eliminated already if not for some of the games Tukarask has. Like, I look at game one, which they won five to two. That was an even game for like, what, 46 minutes, almost 50 minutes. And then the floodgates kind of open. If Rask is a puddle, they're hosed. Uh, Game three, overtime, making absurd saves. Like, that's another opportunity that they probably could lose. So for me, I would be incredibly skeptical of going away from Rask, not only because he has otherwise been playing well. Like This is not the situation that the Hurricanes are in, where it's like Nedeljkovic or Mrazek and both have just been okay, and you're flipping a coin, basically. It's Tuka Rask has been fine. He had a clunker. If he's healthy, he should be playing. And the thing that I keep coming back to is this is the only reason this is a debate is because of the Rask thing. If, if Tuka Rask is healthy to play, I have an exceptionally hard time believing that Cassidy would not go back to him. And you think last year, okay, so they had Halak, and he wasn't great in that game against Tampa, and they put Vladar in. And people weren't saying, you should put Vladar in for the next game. They're saying, just go back to Halak. You should just go back to Tuka Rask because he had one bad game. I, I will – well. I'll push back on your last point first. There's a huge difference between Dan, Le- Dan Vladar in the bubble and Jeremy Swayman from what we've in an admittedly small sample size. Swayman looked better for that run than Vladar has looked in any like five minute stretch, let alone a five game stretch. So I think that's part of it too. I think you're underselling how good Swayman was Perhaps. in the regular season. That goal he gave up right away was not on him. In my opinion, that's a tough spot to come off the bench. It's an awful spot. Yeah. And then just be left guy left alone in the slot. And, you know, you're going to make a save. So other than that, he was fine. Wasn't really tested much at all. No. I thought he played the puck pretty well. So that's something. Um, yeah. I, it's just, I, I guess I'm with you. Um, I think it would take some, some big marbles to play Swayman if you thought Rask was even close to good to play, you know what I mean? You, you yeah. kind of have to go down with your guy, especially when your guy is, you know, a perennial Vesna candidate too. It's not, you know, we're not talking about John Casey here, you know, it's Luka Rask. So that's part of it. I, I would respect the move though. Like if he did it and it was like, you know, we feel like we can get, you know, we're trying to change something up. It's just, but if Swayman gives up three goals in the first period, I mean, that is a tough look. So you kind of just have to go with it. And it's much easier to put the toothpaste back in the tube this way, right? Like, or I guess to squeeze the toothpaste out is what the better, more. Once it's out, it's not going back in. <laughs> right. And I guess like, so you could keep the toothpaste nearby. And if the toothpaste starts to feel sore, you can squeeze the toothpaste and get it, get it out of there. Um, which is a long way of saying if, if Rask comes in, after 20 and says, I don't feel great. You have to make the move. Then you, that's the thing. He needs to be completely transparent with them. He needs to be completely upfront with them and say, if he's not feeling right at all, whether it's in warmups, whether it's after the first period, if it's at the first TV timeout, he needs to tell them because the season's online, obviously. And 
if that's the case, Cassidy has said this before. We have a, you know, we have a more than capable backup. Like he won't hesitate to make that move on Wednesday night. I think like they're not going to wait around until they're down four to two to make a move on Wednesday night. No, they, they won't. I just think that it is, and this is probably why I'm not an NHL coach among many other reasons, but what happens if you put Swayman in and he's bad? Like you, your level of risk aversion is being tested far more by playing Swayman than yeah. it is Rask. It's a much it, more concise way of saying what I was saying. Yes. <laughs> and, and so it, it's not like Swayman's been playing that much either. That's what would make me uneasy. Like you haven't really had the chance to ramp him up. So and, I wonder if they put him in there in game five to try to get him some ice time in case they knew he might need to play again in game six. I buy that theory. I 1000% buy that theory. I don't um, think that's the case though. I buy what Cassidy said today where it was, it was, I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, this is just the confluence of a bunch of different factors, right? Rask didn't feel completely healthy. They're down four to two or whatever the score was. Like you probably aren't, coming back with Rask and net like there's nothing Rask can do that's going to erase that goal deficit so you might as well get him the 20 minutes extra rest and then maybe you kick some ass you know you get kick some guys in the ass by by making that change and get some attention it almost worked in that regard see Uh, so I I do buy into that part of it so and then with that in mind my counter to the idea of giving a guy's a Joel, I think playing Swayman over Rask, if Rask feels healthy enough to play and you go with Swayman for whatever reason in game six, I think that sends a move of desperation. Like I think that reeks of desperation and that would not be a good message send a message to send to your team. That's a move that is, it works a lot better in game than it does pregame. The only, the only real non-injury reason is like Cassie's like, I have a feeling like, and yeah, right. Which that I mean, that's opening yourself up to a lot of criticism. If it works, they're gonna name a street after you at some point. If it doesn't, you know, it's time to start checking out Indeed. Like that's yeah. I mean that. I I'm not saying that they should. I I really truly believe like if they want to go with Swayman, you know, regardless of Rask's health, I do think that that's that would be like a feeling thing. Like they just feel better, more confident with him. I don't like you said. This is not the time to be like we gotta, you know, send a message here to our guys and start the rookie goalie in a do or die yeah. game six. That's so, unfair to just about everybody. Exactly, it's unfair, especially to to Swayman. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's tough spot. I it's fascinating though. I mean, it is. Can I can I just mention something that I hate the idea of talking about it's obviously not running through the head of Bruce Cassidy or anybody, but if they go with Swayman for whatever reason tomorrow, the Tuca takes are going to be absurd about the whole quitting on the team and whatnot after what happened in the bubble, what happened in that season finale against Ottawa, against the people who for some reason think he was bad in game seven against the blues, all that stuff like that. That's coming back in full force. If Swayman plays Wednesday and they win, or even if they lose, like we've seen the last of Tukarask as a Bruin, probably. Like, probably. 
the, you know, save for an injury to the Swayman that gets Rask back in there. Because if, if, well, that's, a, I mean, I don't want to, again, this is a bridge that hasn't <laughs> even been built yet, but like, what if Rask is unhealthy, can't play, and then Swayman pitches a shutout? Then the takes get even bigger. Like, then, then it's like, oh my God, what do we do here? But that's, again, it'd be a good problem to have if you're the Bruins, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're getting a little too tinfoil hat here. It's not even tinfoil hat. It's just, you know, playing out the, you know. Playing out the scenarios, the probabilities. Yeah, exactly. It's like I said, it's fascinating. I, I think they're still in a pretty good spot no matter what they do. I think that that you can't kind of stress that enough that, you know, it, assuming Rask isn't dinged up to a point where he's ineffective. So, um, so that, you know, we just spent 10 minutes talking about a lineup change that won't happen or may not happen. Um, let's talk about lineup changes that will happen. They have to do something because as you mentioned, Curtis Lazar is, I mean, he looked in a bad way. Um, Cassidy didn't seem very, very optimistic about a long-term future there, but, uh, at, or long-term, uh, prospects at the very least he's not playing Wednesday night what do you do with the lineup here well it, it extends beyond just Lazar in terms of what I do because the first thing I would do is probably put Trent Frederick in and have Frederick, him Frederick uh, Bobos are gonna are this is their moment to shine it, it is it is and, and the, I like I Frederick make, too bad. I don't want to make too much of the Frederick thing because if they put him in he's gonna play nine minutes something like eight, that. eight and a half yeah so my move is probably Frederick in for Lazar. And then I think it should be DeBrusque over Chris Wagner. Uh, and I think you do DeBrusque on the right, Frederick on the left, and Corrali in the middle on the fourth line. And then you do Richie Coyle, Kuhlman on the third line. Um, again, that some of that is like, well, do you look a little desperate if you're – putting in two guys in addition to Kuhlman, who's only been in one other game. But I think that that's basically, in terms of up front, the wisest thing to do. My biggest lineup change is give the Bergeron line 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Play them like McDavid and Dreisaitl. Just... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a whole lot to, to add to that. I mean, it's a fine idea. Like, it's not what else are you going to do? Like what, what are the options realistically? I mean, yeah, I guess the, the one argument you can make is if you're putting DeBrusque in for Lazar and Corrali centering the fourth line, then you're at least getting DeBrusque on his left. Sure. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, Cassidy likes Wagner. I, I think that's, he does. And it's idea. starting to baffle me. Like it's, I think Chris Wagner's fine. And like, you know, he, he's not bad, but he's just, a, he's a net zero, you know, like it's getting to the point where you might as well play a guy whose floor might be a little bit lower, but it seems like you could get more out of him. It also seems like that's not going to happen though, because like, isn't that a, a change that probably would have already happened by now? Probably. And so I get it from the standpoint of how much do you want to play Trent Frederick who so, played in a game in four weeks. And then like, so if you, if you take Wagner out now, all of a sudden it's just, now you're completely reshuffling your bottom six. And I don't think that necessarily speaks to desperation and maybe it doesn't matter as much because the, the bottom six is going to play a combined 16 minutes or whatever yeah. uh, of the 60. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Do you complete? Do you want to come? Maybe, yeah, maybe you do want to shake it up again. Does it, 
does it matter? I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to figure out. The fact that, I mean, <laughs> save for like lightning in a bottle, I don't think there's anything they can do there that's going to drastically change their, their fortunes. It's completely possible, by the way, that Frederick comes out, shot out of a rocket, scores a goal, and it's like, okay, now it's the Trent Frederick game. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's it's not something I'm betting on, and it's not something that you would expect just because, right. again, it comes down to the math. <laughs> He's not going to play. Yeah. The, yeah the, and the, the only other change I would consider is somebody in for Lozon. And, and again, you're going back to the how comfortable right. are you with a guy who hasn't played in three or four weeks. But the, the, I've, been, I, I've been clamoring all series. Plays a Borl or Vakaninen over I think Lozon. I think there's no chance Vakaninen plays. I would be very surprised. Zaboral maybe, but again, here's the thing. It's like, if you don't feel comfortable with either of those guys, you can't play them because if somebody gets hurt, you're screwed. Yeah. You're, you know what I mean? Like if you're, you can staple, like if you can staple back nine to the bench, if he sucks in the first period, but what happens if somebody gets hurt and now you got to play him and now you're just, it, I don't know. It's just, I feel like the floor is definitely higher with Lausanne in there, despite yeah. his, his recent issues. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, Zaboral just felt like a steadier player all year. Um, yeah. You know, he – Lozon, sometimes it looks like he has the yips. I hate being that way, but, like, there are times where I see what Lozon's doing now, and it seems like a totally different player from the one I've seen at times this year. And, like, Zaboral looked like that at times when he first broke into the NHL, but – you know, down the stretch. And once he kind of, you know, once he was healthy and getting into a rhythm, he seemed way more comfortable and confident. Um, I don't know. I I guess if you're, that is a big risk, right. To play a guy who hasn't played in probably a month at this point and say like, all right, do or die. And we probably need you to play like 17 or 18 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's a tough spot to be. Um, Up front. What'd you think of Coolman in game five real quick? Fine. I like yeah. Coleman. Um, you know, he, sh- he shows a willingness to shoot. Um, he, you know, sometimes he puts it right in the logo of the goalie, but he's otherwise, I mean, he, he shows more of a willingness to shoot than probably anyone else in the bottom six. Yeah. And at this point too, like the logo shot is, you know, not a goal, but if you're crashing the net, it's a face off. And at this point, just win a face-off, win a play, score a goal, win a period, win the game. Like, it's that simple right now. So, there's, you know, as long as the guy's willing to put the puck anywhere near the net, it could lead to something good, even if it's not from his line. The thing with Coolman too, you always know he's out there when he's playing. Yeah. Like, that's the thing with DeBrusque too often. Is well, that's like, why DeBrusque didn't play, yeah. Is because too often he's invisible. Now, I would argue that's been the case more often for Nick Ritchie than it has DeBrusque, but – um, the point remains that like Coolman, you always know he's out there. Yeah, I again, we I, maybe it makes a difference, maybe it doesn't. I don't think you, you know, I would be surprised if the bottom six is the reason you win Game Six because it just feels like uh, you know, you need to be good, you need you need your best players to to be their best, and that's probably what's going to win them that game, not the bottom six. That being said if those guys can at least start to generate some chances, it starts to change the matchups a little bit, maybe opens up the ice a little bit more for the the top six. So who knows? 
Um, I guess we can get into the, uh, the, the chicanery as well. Uh, a lot going on. Yeah. Why don't you just take it away with your Barry Trotz takes? Because you were kind of fired up about Barry Trotz uh, in terms of what was said following or in between games four and five, Trotz, you know, with a, just a, a coach's playbook special calling out um, Patrice Bergeron for cheating. Not that he's a cheater, but cheating on faceoffs. Uh, it, unbelievable. But actually, I would like to rant first. This is an officiating rant. I, officiating rants are dumb. It's stupid to complain about it. I've never seen it work this clearly in black and white. The first face-off Patrice Bergeron took in game five, he was thrown out of the dot. The first face-off. Like, that is – that must have pissed off Bruce Cassidy so much. And judging by what he said after the game, which cost him 25000 I think he was. Like, that's a, that's inexcusable. At least hide it, you know. Give it till the second draw before you throw him out. That's unbelievable. So it worked. Barry Trotz worked. The guy's feeling, feeling good right now. Um do you what do you play into the what do you uh how much stock do you put in this war of war of words what's what's your takeaway on it how mad are you? well i do think it worked i i think for trots it did work and Clearly. he i mean he basically tried to gaslight everybody today by saying that he respects the refs and he doesn't work the refs it's like no that's exactly what you did with the bergeron thing you didn't say the refs are bothering me they need to you know catch this catch that I think the cheating thing, people held on to the word cheat too much. Yeah. I, I had no issue with that. I didn't either. No, I didn't either. Yeah. And, and like everyone was falling all over themselves. And like, I guess I get it from the standpoint of like, it probably sounds disrespectful to, you know, a, a Bruins franchise icon. Um, but at the same time, I mean, grow up, you know. Can I, wait, can I? I don't know who you're talking to, but I would I would like to defend Cassidy. I don't think Cassidy was ripping on Trotz. I don't think so either. I think he's ripping on the officials being swayed by Trotz. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird. I guess it depends on who you believe, right? Because Cassidy says that most of his rant after Game Five was directed at the. Um, at the Islanders and he specifically mentioned Trotz's comments about Bergeron and that he felt compelled to defend his captain. That's fair. It didn't other than his in Cassie's defense. I heard it a completely different way on Monday night. I thought he was talking about them. Like the, the linesman basically bullying Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Well, and, and this isn't the first time it's happened to Bergeron either. It's not. It's not. It didn't. Am I crazy or did somebody in 2019 do? I was going to say it was, I, I wanted to say Baruby, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I feel like that might have gotten snuck in there during Baruby's. We were the least penalized team yeah. in NHL ran. I could be wrong, but that is not the first time that that's happened. Um, I guess the optics of it sound bad for trots, but I, I have no issue with what he said because and any player in the NHL that knows how to go up to the line without crossing it, like Bergeron does more often than not, should absolutely do that as long as you're staying within the rules. And I, I mean, Trotz has been incredibly complimentary of the Bruins and their top six and Bergeron specifically the entire series. I think that it 
sounds worse than the message actually was and people are going to hear what they want to hear and people want to call Barry Trotz a bozo and all that crap. I I think that that was actually a a fine comment. Um, And people are just, you know, mad online and want to get worked up about it. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it might have been Cam Atkinson. In the Columbus series, that's right. So that that sounds right. The same Cam Atkinson that got a stick broken by Brad Marchand. That is uh, that's also <laughs> coming up in my quick Google search. That's the tough first series for whole Cam. Wonder if he got his three hundred dollars. Yeah, from uh, from from Brad Marchand. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add there because I was only half paying attention because I was googling some random news stories from twenty nineteen. Um, but yeah, I. It just is what it is. Like this is, I don't want to call it a sideshow. It's gamesmanship more than anything on everybody's account. Like I would almost guarantee to to get into the, the officiating thing. I almost guarantee Cassie was in his office after that game in the five ten minutes before he goes to the podium talking to his assistant coaches and be like, "Well, this is going to cost me some money." You know, like I I think he went in knowing exactly. 25,000 is more than worth it to him to try and what else are you going to do? You got to win a hockey game. Like you, you know, you, at 25,000 is more than worth it to try to sway the officiating in your way. It worked for Barry Trotz is probably what he's thinking. Like, you know, from, from the jump at work. So he's like this, it can't hurt. It literally is just, you can put a price on it and it's probably a price that he's probably not even paying himself. So like, well, and Islanders fans, I don't think recognize this, but like it is exceedingly rare for Bruce Cassidy to just lambast a officiating crew. The fact that he's doing this and that it's happened a couple of times now, it tells me how passionately he actually feels about it because you watch the team as much as I do. Like it is not common for Cassidy to get off the ice and you know, he's not John Tortorella where regular season game and you lose and boom, I'm blasting the officials to the high heavens. Like this is very rare for him. It'll be, I, you know, I don't, I didn't see it that way. I didn't necessarily agree with that call. You know, he'll mention it, but he doesn't, it's not a, that was but that's why I say like I think that was premeditated and it's you know I think it was Claude Julian I think I've mentioned this before Julian used to say like the coach's toolbox and that's just another thing in the coach's toolbox there is that you know we have to go into New York a impossible place to play almost win a game and save our season like why not if there's ever a time to break that glass, it's, it's right now. And if they come out and they get two power plays in the first period, that place is going to go nuts. It's going to be just, you know, into the, into the tempest. But like if they score it, that completely takes away that crowd. It's a huge, huge momentum thing. So I like, I, this is the kind of stuff that this interests me. Like I, I, I enjoy kind of, I'd love to sit down with, this is just a, an aside. I'd love to sit down with a coach whether it's Cassidy or somebody who's just out of the game and be like, how does this work? Like what, you know, it, is this a right read on the situation that you're like, I'm going up there to get fined and hopefully, you know what I mean? Like it's, well, it's, it's a game within the game. I, I like it. It's interesting. Now, if I'm Cassidy, he's going to speak what one more time before game six, he'll yep. have morning skate tomorrow. 
I'm not saying a damn thing about the officiating, about Barry Trotz, yep. about any of the Islanders, if I'm in, because while I appreciate the passion of his rant after game five, there's definitely a scent there of they are in your head. The officials are in your head. The yeah. Islanders are in your head. And at that point, you're playing from a position of weakness. I don't necessarily think that they might be in his head as much as it might sound. But if Cassidy – and if, again, he – the other thing, too, is a lot of times he's sort of provoked by the line of questioning. Like, he's not walking up to the podium and giving a preamble before his press conference saying – screw the referees, screw the league, all that crap. It's, it's when he asks, hey, what did you think of the officiating? And he tells you, and he does yeah. that about everything. But at this point, if he's getting asked about stuff, Trotz is saying stuff with the officiating, stuff with fines, anything like that, if I'm him, I'm just leaving it. And he and it, he already started to downshift a little bit. He did. Today. Um he, he acknowledged it. He kind of tried to explain himself. And then he did say something like, I I've said my piece, like this is, you know, it is what it is. I would imagine I would, whatever the over under is for his morning skate press conference on Wednesday, I would take the under. I think it's just, we got to win a game. Like <laughs> you already know my lineup, like the goal is a game time decision. See you guys later. Like, I think so. That's probably the best move. Um, our next podcast, I'm not sure when it is. Are we going to either be previewing game seven or the next round, or are we going to be uh, eulogizing the 2021 Bruins? Um, I like things to be interesting. I'd, I'd say previewing something. I, uh, I had the Bruins in seven, so I kind of have to pick him. Oh, here's the other thing. Uh, I got to go to a wedding on Friday night, so – the Bruins are a lock for game six. Like that's, there is going to be a game seven that I can't watch because I'm at a wedding. So, so my wedding celebration is Friday night. I mean, this is <laughs> uh, the Bruins are winning game six then. My wife and I have had our wedding small as it is postponed multiple times. And Friday, June 11th is the date that it's going to be. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. So it took us 45 minutes, but I think we've reached a resolution here about game six. Of the- <laughs> That's how these things work. So, all right. Um, yeah, we'll be back some point. I'm, I'm not sure when, but uh, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted. Um, for Logan, I'm Mike. Uh, and for the spirit of Lauren, uh, this has been the Ness and Bruins podcast. We'll catch you again next time. See ya.